We're going to jump right into this. Uh, Father, we thank you uh, once again for this time of training and impartation. We thank you for the information that we will receive. Uh, Father, we just lift up each one of these pastors, these organization leaders. We ask that you give them the grace and the wisdom and the capacity and the depth that's needed in order to walk out all that you have purposed concerning their lives. Now, Father, we thank you for a season of sweatless victories. We thank you that you're raising up in their midst competent help. We thank you, Lord God, that their best days and blessed days are not behind them, but ahead of them. We thank you, Lord God, that uh, there are many leaders on the sound of my voice that are catching their second wind right now. Father, and you're giving them grace to move their organizations to a new place. Please look with favor and kindness upon them in their endeavors to advance the kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. So 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 13 is where we're going to take our first instruction from. You guys know uh, I have a fundamental need to know that you are structured for success and not stress. Come on, ask somebody here. Are you structured for stress or success? Matter of fact, it, it is your structure that's going to determine whether your ministry will be successful or stressful. Somebody shout structure. structure. We said a little bit earlier, and Cameron talked about it, right? Uh, there, there are some of you that you know you have the habit of waiting until you can start something to start something. And I mentioned a little bit earlier. My job is, somebody shout, my job, my job. is to see. It's to see. Hello, somebody. I see a whole lot. I don't plan on starting. Come on, somebody. I'm going to build it, right? I'm going to go do the leg work. I may open it. Somebody shout, I'm not running it. I'm not running So make sure from the beginning that you are structuring for success and not structuring for stress. Amen? Amen. Anybody believe that God, how many of you think God called you into a stressful situation? Hello, somebody. Come on, somebody. God called you into ministry. You made it stressful. Uh, all right, I'm going to move on. All right, so while we're talking about stress, since we're going to pause here for a moment, if you are stressed in ministry, write this down. I need more structure or I need more skill or I need a better strategy. Amen? Say structure, skill, strategy. What do you mean skill? You may need to learn more about what you think you already know. Hello, somebody. What do you mean strategy, right? You may need to meet with somebody who can see your organization through different eyes. That's what I love about these meetings I have with you is because I see things you may never have thought of. So you need a strategy. And a lot of time, I, my one-on-ones turn into strategy meetings with my pastors. Have you thought about doing this? No, I never thought about it. I know you never thought about it. That's why you need me. <laughs> Come on, somebody. Isn't that right? Yes. Samuels? How many times we talked and, and we by the time we finished our conversation, I thank God because they do their one-on-one -on -one together, husband and wife, right? And I never thought about that, right? And then next thing I know, they apply it and they start getting results from one conversation. Isn't that right? Yes. So watch this now. Say, say all I know, know. is not all there is to know. So you may, it doesn't matter how long you've been in ministry, you may have to learn more about what you think you already know. You need more skill. Or you need better 
structure or you need a strategy. Y'all got that? And sometimes strategies come from the outside of the environment. Why? Because you're looking at parts and pieces I'm not looking at. You're focused on the, on the, on the right now and what I got to do now, and I'm not looking at that. I'm looking at where are you going and are your habits and your structure going to get you there. Y'all got that? Somebody saw a big picture. Big picture. So someone has already died for the church. Say it with me. Someone has already died for the church. Someone has already died for the church. Watch what Paul said. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 8.13, of course, I don't mean that your giving should make life easy for others and hard for you. Oh, come on. Tell somebody, helping other people, helping other people should, not be hard for you. should not be hard for you. Tell somebody else, helping other people helping should, other not people. Harm you. should not harm you. Yet the most hurt person in the church is the pastor. <laughs> Hello, somebody. And a lot of times the hurt, watch this now, the hurt is self-inflicted. Yes. Why? Because somebody shot, it's possible to do the right thing the wrong way. Y'all got that? And that's what keeps people trapped in the things that are killing them because they know it's the right thing, but they don't have wisdom to understand they're doing the right thing the wrong way. Amen? Amen. So Paul said, of course I don't mean that your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourself. I only mean that there should be some equality. So helping other people should not hurt me. That's the rule of how I do ministry. Hurting people are not interested in your well-being. Anybody figured that out yet? Anybody figured out that the people you have helped the most are not concerned about your well-being? If not, you ain't pastoring. Oh, come on, somebody. Oh, you go out of the way to help people. Anything about you when you're going through nothing? So you, you have to care for you. And you got to make sure that your well-being is built into your structure. Does that make sense? You got to structure your organization for your well-being. Y'all got that? You know, it's funny because Cameron says something that I, I model, and that is this, right? I, as long as Cameron gets the results he gets in his department, as long as the job gets done, y'all know childcare is very complicated because you got a lot of compliance measures, right? I don't want to think about any of them. Come on. I don't want to think about one of them, right? Not one compliance issue, right? Now, he will tell you, I don't care how many directors he got. If I got a problem, I ain't talking to none of them. Ask me why. Because I ain't put them in charge. I talked to one person about the problems, one and one only. Now, how did he get to a place where his boss don't care when he come to work? Pretty simple, competence. Yes, sir. I don't have to look over my shoulder and wonder if he's doing his job. Come on, somebody. Effectiveness, effectiveness without being micromanaged. Y'all understand that? So now, why am I saying that as an, an example, right? Because that's, that's the way I lead. I do not want to be the person who has to make all the decisions in my organization. It tells me that is not good for you. Y'all got that? And if you can't trust people, ego is running the show. Hello, somebody. Say it with me. I will fear no evil. You see, really what it comes down to is whenever a leader deals with a lot of fear, that insecurity can create a culture where leaders around them fail to thrive. It creates a climate called failure to thrive. You see that? So a lot of people's potential 
are not being actualized because a leader will not delegate things. I would rather have 20 people who do one thing well than have one person who does 20 things. Y'all got that? Now that brings me to another point. Tell somebody, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Never trust one person with all your stuff. Oh, come on, somebody. Spread the responsibility among multiple people and then sharpen spokes. Anybody know what sharp, uh, uh, tighten spokes? Anybody ever seen a 10-speed bicycle? Yeah. All the spokes don't come loose at one time, just one of them jokers. Yeah. So you got to pull that one in and tighten it up. Right. If you don't, then you can loosen up and warp that whole rim, yeah. but your job should be tightening spokes. Y'all yeah. got that? All right. God's will for your health and prosperity must be matched with your habits. Somebody shout, God wills, God wills for me to be in health and prosper. Be in health and prosper. But ask your neighbor, is that the will of your habits? Oh, come on, somebody. We know it's God's will, but we see your will in your habits. And you may have habits that, watch this now. There are people, for example, they think God wants them to do something badly. Come on, somebody. Or something that hurts them. Even, and God very clearly said he wants us to be in health and prosper. Isn't that right? Even as our soul prospers. So watch this now. So I've got to make sure that my habits are in alignment with God's intention for my well-being. Do y'all see that? Y'all see how reluctantly I took that dessert from Wendy? She forced me. <laughs> the devil made me do it. Life is not going to hand you balance. Say it with me. Life is not going to hand me balance. So leaders, you have to hand yourself balance by the organization and management of your priorities. That's what balance looks like. Anybody want to live a balanced life? Yes. Anybody figured out yet that balance is elusive? Anybody figured out that was balance, what was balanced in one season completely changes in the next? Somebody shout, I have to keep striking balance. And that means I have to keep what? Somebody shout, changing. I have to keep changing. Isn't it true that over the years your priorities change? Come on, somebody. Your responsibilities change. You know, these things, life is very dynamic. And what I find is that most leaders are not balanced. And, and watch this now. And sadly, many of them don't know how to strike balance. Because they don't understand. Life is not going to hand me balance. I've got to hand me balance by the organization and management of my priorities. You know, right now, my peer group, I have a group of peers that have nothing to do with my church. Y'all don't? I have a group of peers that have nothing to do with my church. Come on. My mutuals are millionaires. They make $40 million decisions. Come on, somebody. So when I, right now in our group, we're, we're, we're one of them we're talking about uh, escaping the tyranny of the urgent. Right? And I, and I brought that up in one of my conversations recently with one of my leaders because they're like, well, what do you do when, you know, when you, matter of fact, I was teaching down at the school before we opened up for classes uh, this year, and I was talking to our new educators about this. Somebody asked the question, they said, well, what do you do when, you know, you got your list plan, and this pull you this way, and this pull you that way? I said, there's a whole lot of stuff that's urgent but not important to you. If you sat down the night before and you made your list of the top three things you got to get done, 
Eric, this stuff other people talking about is not your problem. They make them wait until you finish your lips. You have to escape the tyranny of the urgent. Y'all know what I mean by the tyranny of the urgent? The urgent, whatever's urgent, somebody wants it now, wants it done now, right? It is oppressive. You understand that? It oppresses your mind and, and moves you off course. And before you know it, you haven't, you've done everything for everybody, most of which they could have done themselves. And then the things you knew were your priorities never got done. Now you're frustrated because you feel non-productive. Isn't that right? So you have to, somebody shout, I'm escaping the tyranny of the urgent. Y'all got that? All right. So you got to make an accurate self-assessment, right? It's not the stuff. Somebody shout, it's not the stuff I do. It's the condition of the person doing the stuff. Oh, come on. Ministry is not stressful. Some of y'all are protesting with your eyes. <laughs> and I can see it. Say it with me. Ministry, ministry is not stressful. Is not stressful because because I'm, doing I'm doing it under the anointing. Hey! It ain't even me. So you have the anointing for the work. Isn't that right? But now do you have a structure for your soul? You need the anointing for the work. Come on, somebody shout, when it's God, it's not me. When it's God, it's not me. But now the question is, what is your, what, what is your structure? What, what is the condition of the person doing the work? Yeah. You understand that? Ministry should not wear you out, should not tire you out, should not burden you out. It should not burn you out. All right? So what matters is that you have the ability to make accurate self-assessments. It's not the stuff, it's the condition of the person doing the stuff that matters. Secondly, you got to make a decision to change. Once you see that your present structure is throwing you out of balance, the way you're doing things is breaking you, you have to decide you're going to change it. Does that make sense? If change is not written into your daily habits, you will not change. Y'all got that? You know, if I looked at your calendar, would I find any clue that you even want to be healthy on your calendar? Hello. If I looked at your calendar, does your calendar look like you want to be a balanced person? No, I remember years ago, Pastor TJ, I looked at my calendar, and my family was on my calendar, and all the church members were on my calendar. And I, I noticed the only one wasn't on my calendar. Tell my dad is not helping. You know what I did that day? I decided to change. Hello, somebody. So I start, the first thing I did, I said, I'm not working Monday through Friday, sometimes Saturdays and Sunday. <laughs> Think about that. That's crazy. Yeah. I'm here Monday through Friday, sometimes Saturdays and definitely Sunday. That's crazy. Because yeah. at the time I was doing Monday Night Matter. That's work. And Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and then funerals and, and weddings and everything on Saturday. And then Sunday I got to come back and do uh, one or two services, right? That is too much. So you know what I said? I'm breaking up my work week. Hello, somebody. I'm breaking up my work week. I'm taking out Monday and Thursday. Y'all see that? And, and I've been doing that ever since. Why? Because I'll make sure I live to keep doing my ministry. Y'all did not hear what I just said. Hello, somebody. I'm going to make structure. Look, somebody tell them structure for life, not death. Y'all got that? 
So I decided to restructure my work week so that my, my oh God, it used to feel like there was no division in my weeks. I rolled right out of one week into another one, didn't even know the week changed. <laughs> Somebody said, I gotta change this. If you're gonna have balance, you gotta make changes. Y'all understand that? Now again, remember, I had to make sure I put things in place where my organization can run without me. Right. And mind you, think about this, right? So I'm off Thursday this week, right? But here's part of my off day. I'm on a meeting with the builder, uh, working through construction details, because we're about to start construction in the next few weeks down the street. So we're going through line items of a budget and we're making sure that we're getting all the cost crushed down so we don't have any budgetary overruns, which I still got budgetary overruns to resolve. So that's what I do on my off day. Wow. Now, I'm not in the office, but there's something still, that was the only thing, there's something still that I need to do for my organization to keep moving forward. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. All right. So it's, that's an off-ish day. Off-ish. Off-ish. <laughs> Because people think when you ain't here, you ain't working. Y'all hear what I'm saying? Yeah. But I leave that to their thinking because, right. hey, man, I ain't going to let them kill me. Amen. Scheduling your priorities, okay? Make sure you schedule time with God. Ask somebody, is that on your schedule? Yeah. That time should be blocked out on your schedule, time with God. How can we do this without God? Right. Come on, think about it. Think about what we do. How can we do this without him? You see that? So it should not be that leaders, everybody in this room should be jumping up and running off to save the world. Spend time with God. This morning, right? This is an off day for me, right? Here I am, off. But <laughs> here I am, office. But I had to, I still gotta get up, get in the word. Oh God, hear what God is saying to me. You know what? I was, I'm gonna tell you, my son's here. I would tell you, this, my time with God turned into an absolute fit, right? It turned into an absolute fit this morning because I was before God and I started, I started weeping profusely. I said, Lord, thank you for remembering my son. <laughs> and so it turned into a thanks for seeing what God is doing in my son's life. Now I've been praying for God to do this thing and actualize him and what comes next in his life. And it's set on me that he's doing it. You understand that? Tell somebody you need time with God. Y'all got that? I'm tall. Just thanking God because he answers prayer. All right. All right. Stay in your lane. 2 Corinthians 10, 13. We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the sphere of service God himself has assigned us, a sphere that also includes you. Ask someone, are you working within your sphere of service? Hello, somebody. There may, there may be some things that are in your ministry, but out of your lane. Yes, Tell somebody, if you ain't good at it, quit. <laughs> <laughs> There's a whole lot my ministry needs. I am not trying to get good at it. Y'all got that? Why? It is my calling here, but that ain't my lane. Y'all understand that? Ace, somebody shout, aces in their places. Stay in your lane. God has not called you to be everywhere doing everything with everyone. Somebody shout, a fundamental part 
of my being balanced is disappointing someone's expectations. Get your mind ready for that. Somebody's going to be disappointed that you didn't show up. And they're just going to have to be disappointed if you're going to be balanced. You understand that? Well, you the pastor. I thought you would have been there. I said a pastor. We were there. Oh, come on. We were there. Oh, you wanted me? Nah. Nah. <laughs> Ephesians 4, 16. From him, the whole body. Say whole body. Whole body. Joined and held together with every supporting ligament grows as it builds up itself in love as each part does its work. Come on, somebody. I'm talking to leaders that are tempted to do the part of everybody. And I'm telling you, let each part do its work. That's the way God intended for us to operate. So learn how to respect the body dynamic. Y'all got that? Don't be intimidated. Cameron said it earlier, right? Pray for people that are better at something than you to come into your ministry. Oh, God. Y'all got that? I need people around me to be better at me at the stuff that need to get done. You know, here's something else. If I turn something over to someone, I want them to take it to levels I never took it to. Come on, somebody. Nobody comes in and make it more of the same. Come on, somebody. All right? So you got to get your emotions ready for that. So recognize and release other gifts. Resist the urge to make yourself more important to the equation than you are. I'm going to say that again. Resist the urge to make yourself more to the equation than you are. Somebody shout, I'm a small part of a big thing that God is doing. You know, you know what you'll be shocked to discover? There are people that you are helping that will still be fine if you die. They will move on without you. They, they will have another pastor before your coffin is in the ground. <laughs> Y'all did not hear what I just said to you. Y'all got that? You are not expendable. Come on, somebody. Uh, you, uh, you are expendable, I should say. Right? And you better remember that you're a small part of what God is doing. 2 Corinthians 8, 5. And this they did, not as we hope, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and us by the will of God. Never allow circumvention of your appointed leaders. Okay? Watch people who offer their advice but not themselves. Oh. Anybody got folk like that in your ministry? I think what needs to be happening is, right, that they never offer themselves but they always offer their advice. Come on, somebody. And listen, And if you put somebody in charge of something, don't let other people come tell you nothing about them. Come on, make them go back. You so smart, go serve the person I put in charge. I think it could be being done differently. Have you served in that area and submitted that knowledge to the leader in charge? <clears throat> See that? I've told people who come telling me about a department leader, uh, you know, I think and I know, and I'm, and I'm like, I don't know you, and I don't trust you. <laughs> I don't know you. And I'm like, the one you criticize, watch this now. The one you criticizing has been corrected and then run. You haven't even been corrected yet. You finna be. I, watch this now. I know them. I don't know you. Don't let people circumvent who you put in charge. It will, write this down, it will undermine morale. 
it will undermine morale. <clears throat> Romans 11.3, for I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify my office. So teach other people to be mindful of their roles. And that's one of the things that my pastor did well. He taught us to respect our office. Isn't that right? Yes. Respect your office. All right? Encourage initiative taking. Cameron already talked about that. But encourage people to take initiative. You know, never penalize people for trying to help when you're not available. Y'all right. got that? Yes. You know, I often say, you know, especially when I was traveling quite a bit, right? I never rebuke anybody for making a decision. I rebuke people for indecision. Right. I call the office and I, I call, I talk to one person, person I left in charge. And I, I was waiting on you before. And I rebuke them. I'm like, why didn't you make a decision? What are you waiting on me for? Right. You understand that? You're only comfortable with the poor decisions coming from me. <laughs> y'all will get that one later. Y'all will get that one later. Normally the people that criticize decision makers are only comfortable when the decision makers are making the decisions. But when you put it on them, they ah. No, ain't no ah, make a decision. All right. Create a shared culture. Write that down. Create a shared culture. Y'all got that? You will find that the more you, watch this now, the more you share, the more you are supported. Y'all hear what I just said to you? The more you share, the more that you are supported. All right? So let's talk about uh, somebody, somebody's question. So operating in excellence. Uh, number one, avoid comparison. Listen, if you want to torture yourself in ministry, all you have to do is compare last season to this one. All you got to do is compare this leader to this one. If you want to torture yourself, all you got to do is compare your last season capacities to your your current season. Somebody shall never compare anything to anything. See, when you compare, you are not completely vested in the present. Y'all hear what I just said to you? Somebody shout, I got to be all here right now. Comparison put pieces of you somewhere else. So it's important never to compare. Listen, like this season we're in right now, all I know is that this season requires all of me now. Yeah. So I'm not looking back going, oh, I remember when I had so-and-so, and I remember the other. Mm -mm. mm. Never compare anything to anything. Y'all got that? Yeah. Uh, what matters is an excellent spirit. For as much as an excellent spirit, Daniel 5.12, and knowledge and understanding, interpreting dreams, and showing of hard sins, is all the doubts were found in the same Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now, let Daniel be called, and he showed the interpretation. Notice Daniel had an excellent spirit. Now, excellence is not a term of comparison. Y'all got that? Excellence is a reflective. Say reflective. Excellence is a reflective quality coupled with a set of observable behaviors. Does that make sense? So excellence is not in competition or in comparison with anyone else. Y'all know the, the moon has no light of its own, right? What does it do? Reflects the light of the sun. So the same way, excellence is not me competing with another church. Hello, somebody. Excellence means you will see uh, who I worship and how I work. It's a reflective quality. You will see my worship of God in the way I do things. Y'all got that? 
Excellence is a derivative of a worshipful spirit, as we saw in Daniel's life. Now, how to avoid burnout? Galatians 6, 9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not what? If we do not give up. Somebody shout, I'm supposed to reap a harvest. I'm supposed to reap a harvest. I see most people burn out before they reap a harvest. All right, so let's talk about how to avoid burnout. Number one, get a life. Please say this with me. Ministry, Ministry is not my life. Is not my life. Christ, is. Christ is. When Christ who is our life shall appear, then shall we appear with him in glory. Y'all understand this? Let me share something with you, right? So I thank God for all that God has done through uh, in, uh, with Manifestation Worldwide. I thank God for the breadth of this ministry and all that we do and all that we reach and all that we touch. But hear me very clearly when I tell you this. This ministry does not define my life, and nor does it add any value to my life. Amen. Now, what I mean by that is this. This is a true statement. If God directed me to quit this today and do something else, I'm out. Y'all right. did not hear what I just said. Yes, what I have to do is stay current with God's will for my life. This is how God has used me. But it does not define me. Y'all understand that? Test my get a life. Tell your neighbor, get a whole life. Get a whole that makes sense? So Christ is my life, not manifestation worldwide. Christ is my life. Does that make sense? All right. And this is uh, how I move about in life. I just need to know what God's will is so I can be completely vested in God's will as I discern God's will. That makes sense? All right. So get a life. Number two, enjoy life. 1 Timothy 6, 17 talks about the enjoyment of life. You know that's actually in the word of God that you're supposed to enjoy your life? So I'm going to ask you to ask, this is for you, it's, it's, it's a rhetorical, but it's for introspection. What are you doing regularly to enjoy your life? What do you do for catharsis? Come on somebody. I said a little bit earlier, do you have friends that have nothing to do with your church or your organization? Because you know if all your friends are in the church world, you know all y'all going to talk about? And that's sad that you ain't got nothing to talk about but church. You know, my family and I recently went on family vacation. And we were driving to Marco Island, Naples area. And I told my family, one rule. I got one rule. Do not say one thing about manifestation worldwide. Not one thing. They didn't last. They didn't last. They don't know how to let it go, man. They, I'm still teaching my family how to let go of ministry. Ironically, my wife never wanted a pastor, just like me, right? But to this day, right, she's the one person who can't turn it off. Wow. I turn it off, man. I'm telling you, I turn it off. It's off, right? Yeah. And she like, they call her trying to find out why they can't reach me. And I tell her, I'm not trying to be reached. All right. Hello, they got a whole pastor at church. Why they need me? All right. Enjoy life. Number next, create real friendships. Tell somebody, get you some real friends. Get you some real friends. Amen. Find some people with common interests other than church. Go golf with somebody. Go fish with somebody. 
right? Play jacks with somebody. I don't care what you do, but do something other than church. <laughs> Tell your neighbor, get a life. Don't you have something you're interested in other, chapter, other than chapters and verses? I love the word of God and prioritize it, but there's more to life than just church. Y'all got that? Create outlets, catharsis. Here's something, family time. Family time. Y'all got that? And as Cameron said a little bit earlier, write this down. Replication is my freedom. <sighs> Replication is my freedom. Y'all got that? Replication is your freedom. The more you reproduce yourself, and the more you free yourself to do other things. Does that make sense? <laughs> Be mindful and attentive uh, to your well-being as well. Be mindful and attentive to your well-being. Amen? I know that you all heard me talk about this before, but you all have changed. So there is something that I do daily. Um, D-E-M is the, are the acronym. Is the acronym. Say D-E-M. So when I get up in the morning, this is what it looks like, right? First of all, devotion. I spend time with the Lord. I get in the Word, number one. I read the Bible cover to cover over and over again every single year. I get in the Word and listen to what God is saying to me through the Word. I get in prayer. I sit silently and listen to what God is saying to me after I have studied the Word and prayed. After you talk to God, you got to sit and listen to God. Y'all got that? Now, the second thing I do before I leave home is that I, I put on like my podcast. I have one podcast that I listen to called The Savvy Psychologist. Why? It tells me you need to think about how you're thinking. We are sentient beings, which means we have the capacity to step out of our thoughts and look at them and ask, this way of thinking, is it good for me or not? So we have the ability to think about how we're thinking. Ask somebody, do you think about how you're thinking? You better learn that habit before your thoughts take you down. Learn to stop and think about how you're thinking and ask yourself, is this way of thinking good for me or not? Y'all got that? This habit will keep you from depression. You'll see it a mile off. Now, the third thing that I do before I leave my home and go save the world is I got right in my house, upstairs, I have a gym. So motion, devotion, emotion, and motion. So I minister to my spirit, soul, and body before I minister to anybody else. Y'all hear what I'm telling you? Why? Because I want to last. <laughs> Hello, somebody. I don't care how anointed you are. That spirit needs a body to finish the assignment. Talk about the Lord took them home. Pork chops took them home. Smothered with gravy and onions. Smothered with gravy and onions. Loaded mashed potatoes took them home. With cheese and sour cream. the question about getting your organization ready to buy a building. I, I think the person asked that didn't come. I don't know. All right. So somebody asked about preparing to purchase. So Psalm 127 verse 1 of Solomon, unless the Lord build a house, the builders labor in vain. So what do we need to do to get ready to purchase? And this is just an overview. I'll become more thorough when you set your one-on-one -on -one so we can talk about it. All right. So first of all, you need to determine your, your domain. Tell somebody you're not supposed to just be anywhere. 
You are supposed to be somewhere. Think about this. Our organization, we're at a level in terms of our income and, and, and such and such. We can move anywhere. Literally, I can build a church in New Tampa and be out there with the rich people, right? But now I'm called. Come on. We are, we are, we are supposed to be right here sandwiched in the projects. We are supposed to be here. Our, we have an assignment here. And that's why we don't just up and move and go wherever. Because just because you can don't mean you should. Right. Y'all right. got that? Yeah. Write this down. Determine your domain. Where has God given you the authority to rule? Come on, somebody. Because wherever God has given you domain, you will have dominion. Y'all got that? Where has God given you authority to build? So you need to assess that first. You need to be clear about that. Because God won't help you anywhere doing anything with anybody. God will help you somewhere doing something with somebody. Somebody shout, ours is a God of specifics. You know, I was talking with a pastor in California who I'm mentoring. Interesting story, but I was talking with him, and uh, they, they had a car. Last week, they had a car run into their building while church was going on. So, like, they need a new building now. And then, interestingly, a door opened up in the very area of town that it had been prophesied to them several times they would be. Isn't it amazing? God's like, let me just send a car through here because you can't hear me. Let me send a car through the front. No, no. <laughs> Right? Somebody shout a burning house. house. You're either going to be moved by a burning heart, a burning bush, or a burning house. Tell somebody, don't make God burn the mother down. Right? So, so a, car, a car came through the front while they were in worship, like, look, time to go. So he, he was telling me, I don't know what we're going to do because this is the location that was prophesied. Oh, but it's going to be this much more a month. And I said, back up. Back that thing up. I said, you said that several prophets told you you would be here. Uh -huh. And now the door is opening and you're worrying about costs. Here's what I said. God pays for prophecy. Oh, you pay for presumption. Look, somebody tell me, if you're doing it on your own, God might not pay for it. But if you're doing what God said, he'll always pay for it. Let me quit hollering. I got excited on that one. If you're doing what God said, test my, if you're doing what God said, he will always pay the bill. Tell your neighbor, say, if you're doing what God said, he'll always pay the bill. That's my experience. That's my experience. If you're doing what God said, somebody shout, God pays for prophecy. Now, the other side of it, you pay for presumption. You can't be guessing at the will of God and get a hold of God's wallet. Y'all hear what I just said to you? You, don't, you can't afford to be guessing at the will of God. You'll never get a hold of God's wallet guessing at the will of God. God pays for prophecy. I told this pastor, I said, man, I said, I literally have, I literally have had God. Like, if you don't move tomorrow, I'm through. True story, man. I've had, God, I've had it come to the last hour. But he did it. But he, I got hope, but he did it. And you know what he taught me? He said, what difference does it make to you whether I do it on the first day or the last day? I am God. Y'all right. got that? Yeah. Say it with me. God pays for prophecy. God pays for prophecy. We pay for presumption. We pay for presumption. So you cannot afford to presume at the will of God. You got to know the will of God. Yeah. Be not unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Y'all yeah. got that? Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, and you better learn this now because... 
at some point you're going to be doing very dangerous ministry. Y'all did not hear what I just said. Look at my tongue. God is calling you into a dangerous place. Come on, tell somebody God is calling you into a dangerous place. I'm talking about the kind of place where if he doesn't move, you are done. See that? And in order for you to really move in that realm and that dimension, right? You got to know you're hearing God and acting on the word of the Lord. Does that make sense to you? Yes. Amen. All right. So you need to determine your domain. You need to also assess your organizational capacity. What does your budget permit? All right. You know, in a general rule, very general, because I'm not going over this except for with individuals and in your meeting with me. So we can talk about the specifics of this in your one-on-one. -on -one. But to give an example of that, just real numbers. So let's say your organization is doing $100,000 a, a year in revenue, just to be round, okay? You multiply 3.5 times 100,000, that tells you how much building you can afford. 350,000, right? That is the standard, 3.5 times revenue. So that's basically what you should write. You know, I'm looking at a $2 million building. Yeah, you're going to keep looking at it. <laughs> Tell somebody, you ain't there yet? <laughs> this thing happens in, somebody shout, this happens in stages. Don't be in a hurry to get anywhere. I'm telling you, don't be in a hurry to get anywhere. You understand that? I can't wait. I can't wait to God give me a, a big organization, a big organization, right? All right, so what you going to do with $30,000 a month in mortgages? Just mortgages. What are you going to do with that? So there's, tell my shop, big costs money. Does that make sense? My light bills are $8,000 a month. <laughs> Y'all understand, understand what I'm saying? It costs money to do ministry. Does that make sense? 60-some people on payroll. That's $80,000 every two weeks. That's one sixty a month. It costs something to do ministry at that Y'all understand what I'm telling you? It costs money to, to do the stuff that you endeavor to do. So you got to make sure. Somebody shout little by little. You need to ensure that, you're administrative and op that you are administratively and operationally ready to purchase. Does that make sense? Is your organization structured properly? Why? Because if you're going to get a, a loan for that building, right? Do you know the first thing they're going to look at? Organizational structure. Y'all yeah. got that? Do you get your files audited yearly so you can give them three years of financials? Do you have a, a history? Is your organization properly structured from a business standpoint? Is there a board of directors? Is that you got board notes? Is there, do we have notes saying that somebody sent you to represent the organization in order to be talking to us? Y'all got that? Board resolution. So you got to have proper organizational structure to be going toward purchasing properties and such and such. All right? Are your records in order? Records? What records? <laughs> so I ain't got no record. I've been clean all my life. No. Are your, <laughs> are your records? Ask somebody, are your records in order? Are your records in order? See, because they're going to give you, right? God said that's our building. All right, well, let's see what the bank says. <laughs> Tell somebody, they're going to give you a list. And you got to be able to provide documentation for everything that is on that list. So do you have, have you already done that? Does that make sense? 
You know, interestingly, let me share something with you. So I had somebody, somebody contact me recently, and they, they are part of an organization that is Christian in, in uh, uh, the leaders are, are believers, right? So they're looking, they're starting this organization, uh, it's already registered and so on and so forth, and it's moving, and they're about to come into significant resources, and part of their vision is just to give to churches like ours and others that are doing things, so they have a real clear mission for the money. I believe God is doing that. God is raising up people that, that, that are getting a lot of money for the mission because God is about to expedite, expedite some things because the Lord is soon to return, I believe. There's a lot of things God's going to do quickly, yeah. so God is bringing certain people and significant resources in order to get it done. Yeah. So the guy that contacted me, he sent out to all of the, the 12 or 13 of us that he contacted, he sent out a, a list of 20 things that he's like, we're not telling you that you should have this to be one of the people that qualify for this flow of income. He's, uh, he said, but this is what organizations like this are looking for. Man, I had that list knocked out. I had that list knocked out. I'm telling you, I'm like, I don't know when the money gonna start flowing, but I already got my list ready. <laughs> Tell somebody, you gotta be ready when opportunity comes. Tell about you got to be ready when I, you can't wait until opportunity comes there and start trying to get ready. You got to be ready when opportunity comes. Now, you know what he never said? He never said you had to do it. I'm like, oh, I'm going to make sure that if y'all giving the money to anybody, it's going to be me. <laughs> I'm talking millions upon millions of dollars that they're looking to go somewhere. And you know who they're looking for? The organized. The visionary. Come on, somebody. And the reason they called me was because they're looking for people that already got results. Wow. Amen. Y'all got that? Now, that brings me to another point. Are you ready to convey your results to those who will be interested in supporting you? All right? Are your partners ready to support the shift? That's another question. Are your partners ready to support the shift? All right? Do they know you're planning the shift? Do they know what you're working toward? Do they understand what this season of your organization is in? Do they understand it? All right? Consider the trend. Uh oh. Consider the transitional process. Now, this is important. How will you maintain where you are as you prepare for where you are going? Ask somebody how you're going to do both for a minute. Come on. How will you maintain where you are as you prepare for where you are going? So it's not just about, listen, it costs getting there. But it also costs leaving here. Think about what I just said. It costs getting there, but it also costs leaving here. So you got to think about more than just the transaction. Think about the transactional, the transitional process. Does that make sense to you all? All right. Uh, so that was the last of the developmental needs questions. So for just a moment, I want to do a quick Open discussion, best practices, uh, share time. So this is a question that you're going to answer, I might answer, but it'll help everybody in the room. So how did you determine which departments you needed to create first in your church? Anybody want to address that? How did you just decide to start this department, that department? What was your process? Somebody ask that. Huh? If you're, I'm talking to pastors now. Okay, if you got a list of church departments or whatever, how did, somebody's trying to figure out how do you know which departments you need first? What is your process for determining that? Yes, Chris? If I have some money, then I start. 
Okay, so Chris says, I wait until uh, the passion to run it shows up and then I get it started, right? Well, so for instance, we have a department that I want to start. Uh -huh. I currently don't have a leader to lead it. Okay. And instead of uh, making it a, an issue for me, I'm praying until that person comes to start it so that it doesn't follow me. Y'all got that? So he had the vision for functioning in this area. He's praying for the person, and he's waiting for them to come to say that it's something they want to do. So now, it's not by coercion, it's by conviction. That's a very good example. It's by conviction. Think about this, right? If somebody comes, if you've been praying for the right person to come for a certain area, and you're not announcing it, and they show up and go, you know what the Lord really put on my heart? You're like, ah, there it is, right? I, and I'll give an example. You know, before we started, like this is our student ministry building. This is where my daughter leads our student ministry team and whatnot. Every Sunday we have services in here for kids, right? One of three places. But before we develop a real student ministry pastor and student process development, we watch kids. That's all we did is watch kids. God spoke to me and said, you are babysitting kids while you pastor their parents. That's what God said. And what he was telling me was, you need to make sure these kids are really being pastored at their level of development, right? So I, I reminded the Lord he didn't call me to youth pastoring. And, he's <laughs> <laughs> and he told me, these were his exact words. He said, you haven't prayed for anyone. I began praying for a youth pastor. Three weeks later, Pastor Al Gonzalez walked in the door. He wasn't a pastor at the time. He walked in the door. His intention was to hide behind the bass guitar in the praise team. Ask me why. Because he wanted to be a youth pastor at his last church, and his pastor told him, I can never see you doing that. When he walked in the door, listen, when I first met him, you know what God said? That's the man. God said to me, that's the man. I met with him, and I said, I really feel like God is telling me you spoke. He just will. And he told me the story of how he felt God was calling him to youth ministry, but the pastor at the mega church he was a part of told him, I, you're not the kind of person I can see ever doing that. Now, it tells my, you're not for everybody, but you are for somebody. Y'all got that? that re rejection is redirection. Never get, never get taken by rejection. I thank God for rejection because it saves me from wasting my time. Y'all hear what I just said? I thank God for rejection because it keeps me from wasting my time. I'm glad to know you know I'm not for you. That helps me out quite a bit. Because now I know where not to expand my efforts. Y'all got that? So just like Pastor Chris just said, we literally prayed for you, Pastor. Three weeks later, the guy walks in the door. And God identified him. And it was a kind of, he was the one. Our present church culture for student ministry, he created that structure. And my children just came behind and took it to next levels and successive levels. But he created the actual structure for it. Y'all got that? I could have never done it. I don't like people kids like that. To be, I'm just kidding. That's a joke. That's a joke. I love the little babies. <laughs> Anybody else? How did you determine which point? Yes. Um, what's critical to the operations for Sunday, what's critical for the um, administrative or the infrastructure, 
And those are the ones I think that you need to focus on. So if you're a startup church, one of the most important ones is your administrative flow, your financial flows, and the things that you need to get going to have a Sunday service. And then I think from there you branch out to the other things as you have people and as you have um, a need. Very good. So critical analysis of what's necessary for operational structure. So you really take a look at what's, what's needful now for operational structure and develop out of those needs. Very good point. Very good point. Anyone else? How did you determine what departments to start when you, de when you, started to, when you de uh, determined to start? Anybody else want to address that? Amen. So those are good answers. I like that. Mine is unnecessary. Number two, have you developed any mental health focuses in your organization? If so, what did you, what, you know, what are your focuses? Anybody developed anything for mental health? Yes or no? Anybody developed anything? Okay, so y'all are asked. So here's what we did. We haven't done, you know, anything really expansive. One of the things that we did do, we had a couple of our uh, pastors that we had take mental health training in order to be able to recognize people that are going through a mental health episode so we wouldn't be trying to cast out devils. That's so that's something that we did in order to sort of increase our awareness. Have, we haven't developed a department for it yet, uh, but, you know, again, I believe you got to start somewhere and developing at least some people with the capacity to discern the need so the need can be addressed. And ultimately, remember this, we are not mental health counselors. That's not what we do. So I believe we should also keep a list of who you call if somebody's going through a, an episode. Y'all got that? A list, of re uh, a list of people that are qualified and registered in that area that you can refer out. Y'all got that? Yeah. We cast out devils. Somebody else need to walk them through some healing the trauma and all that stuff that's going on. Y'all got that? Yeah. All right. Uh, number next. How did you increase your partner support? So if you've seen partner support increase, what was your, these are best practices. What did you do to increase partner support? Anyone? Yeah. Huh? Your partners are not supporting more? <laughs> Used to, uh, you like, just hope the offer's good? All right, so maybe I'll just answer that one along with this right here. Uh, I believe, and one of the things I teach is this. I don't care what, or whether you're, you're pastor in a church or whether you have a, a parachurch organization, somebody shout diversification. I believe you need to diversify your income, income sources. Amen? I believe that every leader should be free from the offering plate. I believe that you should have so many streams of income that if there's a recession or a pandemic, it doesn't matter because you have streams of income that are coming into your organization. So think diversification. You know, and then when you listen, when you hear us talking about child cares and college and ALF and you know, housing programs and school and all of that, right? We're meeting needs in our community. Somebody shout, and? and. Prospering outside of the offering plate. Because meeting, tell my meeting need pays. Meeting needs pays. Y'all got that? Um, as you guys know, next month we'll be breaking ground, Lord willing, on, on our village down the street. Ten apartments. Well, those ten apartments for veterans... We already have vouchers with Tampa Housing Authority. Those vouchers are attached to the buildings, which means we'll be able to meet the needs of, of uh, veterans perpetually 
and the, nothing will come out of the pockets of the veterans. Tampa Housing will be paying us directly. So we're talking about over $15,000 a month in revenue that's coming. And my, my mortgage on that property will only be 5000 So you get what I'm saying? That you can meet needs and get paid too. Tell somebody, you can meet needs and get paid too. Now what that gives me the latitude to do is increase capacity, put away more resources, bring on another staffer, because I'm building it. I ain't running it. Y'all understand what I'm saying? So, so think outside of the offering plate. Think diversification. What are needs we've not listened? Don't go for grants you don't feel called, need, for needs you don't feel called to meet. Okay? Never go after money that you don't feel called to meet the need attached to that money. That's a waste of time. But there are things that in your vision you feel the need, the, the need to meet certain needs. Tell somebody, that's your money. Y'all got that? So when you look at all that, like I said, we look at all that we do, you know, uh, the cafe, I think cafe, Cameron just told me the cafe made like uh, three or $4,000 in one week. You get what I'm saying? So stuff like that where you can look at how do we meet the needs, how do we meet the needs of people and we actually make more revenue that has nothing to do with the offering plate passing around. Say, tell somebody, think outside the box. Or, or better yet, think outside the plate. <laughs> All right, any other questions before we wrap up? I got some friends here I want to introduce to you. Any other questions before we wrap up? Amen, any other questions? Any questions, any comments? Before I turn, I got some friends I want to introduce to you. Any comments? Wow. Yes. I do have a question about um, how do you feel about for-profit businesses? Well, 